Hi guys, I'm delighted to be here with former Bristol Rovers manager Daryl Clark. Uh, Daryl, uh, to go back a few years, chucked in to the deep end with Bristol Rovers with eight games to go as they were ultimately relegated out of the EFL into non-league, only to win back-to-back promotions into League One. Uh, a tenth-placed finish followed in his first season in League One, uh, followed by 13th place finish before a, a difficult start to the season leads us to this point. We've got a lot to talk to Daryl about highs and lows at Bristol Rovers, um, a career beforehand that had taken him uh, to Salisbury as player manager and then his first full-time manager job uh, and a playing career with some interesting locations as well. Uh, 1,721 days in charge of Bristol Rovers. Um, Daryl, you're 41. You've managed over 400 games uh, as a manager in spells with Salisbury and Bristol Rovers. And now, I reckon you're off work probably for the first time since you joined the Mansfield youth team as a boy. Yeah. So, I mean, what what has the last six weeks been like? Very strange, very strange. I'm sick of doing the chores in the house, that's for sure, for the wife keeps giving me. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I hate being out of work. Uh, it's certainly, it's been... Uh, uh, highs and lows along the way in those you know career bad injuries and and whatnot and then coming into management which is obviously as we know uh, non-stop but uh, no it's, it's been nice to recharge I had, a, I had a lovely Christmas with a family I had my daughters down from north which was which was great and uh, had, a, had a nice time with a wife so uh, recharging but uh, fred and fresh and ready to go yeah you often see uh, managers who have been under a lot of pressure for an extended period of time and, and someone like yourself who it was so clear to fans of Bristol Rovers and followers of the league was so invested and, and, and working so hard uh, uh, in, in a tough period you, you, you sometimes think on a human level I'm kind of glad that you've had a bit of time off yeah, and you've been able to maybe get it wasn't sick. really like that for me to be honest I enjoyed pressure I think that the, the one of the things that, that I work on my mindset is is to enjoy the pressure because that is it's around every corner in the footballing world, and you have to program yourself to to enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, the lows of losing football matches is very difficult, and if you're on a bad run, it is very difficult. But you've got to enjoy that. I enjoyed being in the, the dugout in every every game I've, I've managed, and obviously learnt a lot along the way. We solved with time, so pressure for me something to be enjoyed. And, and something that you've you've got to sort of look forward to because, like I say, the, the pressure's out there. On a, a sort of career side of things, taking a few weeks to enjoy some time with the family, but no doubt uh, you're starting to think ahead. What have you been doing with your spare time to oh, sort of... Uh, other than the house, Jaws. Uh, yeah. no, uh, to be fair, uh, I went down to see uh, Kenny Jackett, who's doing a fantastic job at Portsmouth this season. I went down, which was you know I was really grateful for to uh, to be invited down there and, and spend the day with Kenny, obviously an experienced manager, knows his stuff. So just watching training. And yeah, training. He, he got me involved with with the you know he's chatting to his staff and all bits and pieces, which uh, you know is, which is fantastic. Mm. Uh, a lot of championship managers, you know Dean Smith and, and Paul Cook at Wigan. Um, Dean Smith obviously Aston Villa have invited me up for a couple of days, so I'm, I'm going to do a lot of that. You know, study the game, have a look, uh, evaluate what went right, what went wrong. Yeah. For my managerial career, but uh, also, you know, I still hold that strong belief that I, you know, I am a good manager. Uh, I think I've proven that over the, the 400 games I've managed. But you, you never stop learning in this game, and you, you've got to keep progressing. And uh, that key word of adapting. Do is, you think you learn better without the day to day? job of, of being a manager of a football club would you say you've learnt more just 
through having a bit more time than you would have done on the yeah, job. Yeah, certainly you, you get a longer, obviously a longer period to evaluate what's uh, what's went right and wrong. And obviously when you're into the, the full-blooded day-to-day managing, you know, all you're ever doing is trying to sort uh, solutions to the problems that come every, everywhere around the corner as a, as a manager. But uh, yeah, sort of evaluating, looking at things and, and seeing what didn't quite go right in the last the last six months at, at Bristol Rovers has you know, obviously been key to my mind. And it's only been, I think, six, seven weeks and obviously the Christmas period you've had in, in that time. In terms of looking forward to, to getting back in the game uh, in a management role or a head coach role, uh, any conversations been had? Any? You know? Yeah, no, I spoke... Uh, it hasn't got any further, but a couple of clubs rang me and I, I won't name the clubs, but... Uh, I haven't put my name in, in for any job as it stands at the minute. Uh, still going to take a little bit of time to, uh, to 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 get back in, and obviously there's no guarantee you can get back in. But I won't be, like I say, I won't be jumping into the first one. I, I want to make sure that the club feels right, mm. uh, and you know it's a club that we can move forward. That's the the key element for me, and, and that we're all singing off the same hymn sheet to to bring success to that club. So I'm, I'm looking forward to wherever my uh, fresh challenge will be. But uh, it came a little bit too early when a club a couple of clubs wanted to speak to me, and uh, you know I was grateful for that, but declined the offer. Is there a part of you that thinks, of course, each club and each situation is different? Um, you know, the Luton manager job up for grabs at the moment is clearly a, a great opportunity, just like Carlisle was. These clubs are in good positions, could feasibly win promotion to, to the next level. So clearly very attractive jobs for uh, managers looking uh, for vacancies. But uh, just more generally, is there any sense that joining a club with two, three months of the season, it can be a bit of a poison chalice because you're coming in and it's trying to learn the squad quite quickly. And we know that fans don't always, and boards don't always remain that patient, even if the expectations are, are not massively high. Or is it more like, get me in there so that I can evaluate before the summer. Yeah, it was important for myself to take a break from the game, That that's for sure. Uh, because I think if you move straight into the, the next club on the next project, you know, you haven't took that time to evaluate and, and look at things and improve on things. And, uh, you know, every club's a different sort of project, whether it be like, say, Luton's right at the top of the table, Carlisle's doing well uh, and whatnot. But for me, it's about uh, the the club that I, I sort of want to get into, you're probably looking in a perfect scenario is maybe March, April that gives you time to assess assess the the squad ready for the summer period and wherever that club may be positioned, maybe, you know, it's probably a material to a certain stage, but as long as the club's, I don't know, I know it sounds ridiculous, but has, has ambition of, of wanting success and wanting to move forward and, you know, in a, in a realistic manner. As a, a young British manager, as you said, experience over 400 games in management, um, but only 41 years old and, and someone we've spoken about on the podcast a lot. We've also spoken uh, in the same way to Paul Heckingbottom, Michael Appleton, um, both guys who have had success uh, early on in their careers, young British managers. Do you feel like as a marketplace for jobs, are you optimistic that being considered a young British manager who's had success under his belt do you feel like there's opportunities for you there yeah I mean it's, it's frustrating to be honest with you I do get frustrated because I think the, the foreign managers get put on pedestals and like you say I think they've reinvented the, the wheel and the Leeds manager doing a you know PowerPoint presentations uh, open people's eyes but it hasn't to British coaches and managers because we've been doing that day in day out mm. 
you know, and uh, obviously it leads to got a big analyst team that can help him to get all the information. But every team's working on the opposition. Everyone's looking at opposition and, and stats. And I think the, you know, the the foreign coaches. Uh, you know, I know Huddersfield's brought in a, another German. You know, they had great su- success with Dave Wagner, but. I don't. I don't really get it to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I'm comfortably in a position where I think I could manage any club at any level now after my experience that I've, that I've gained, and certainly the pressures of the jobs that I've been in mm. have put me in massively good stead. And and I just think the the opportunities in the uh, in, certainly in the English game is, is is difficult because of the the pedestals that the the foreign managers are, are put on, and uh, which is a shame because some great great British coaches out there you know delighted that Dean Smith's got the Villa job and uh, Nathan Jones at yeah Nathan yeah. Jones delighted for Nathan great lad great coach and uh, you know I'm, I'm really cheering these boys on from the, the, the British point of view because you know we've got, we've got some talented coaches and, and I, I think uh, we need to start uh, uh, you know respecting what British coaches bring to the English game yeah someone made an interesting point that it's become very quickly accepted that um, someone who's managed at under-23 level in Germany uh, can still make a, a big impact on an English club, and in many cases they have done that. Um, but it seems impossible to imagine the equivalent British manager getting a job in Germany, you know, for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Think the same way, whatever, whatever reason. I certainly think if, I, you know, if you look at me, my personal record of the four promotions in eight seasons, I think in any other, any other country you'd be managing at the... Uh, the top level in different countries here so obviously you have to you have to get clubs into them positions you know Eddie Howe uh, you know Bournemouth you've got the promotions uh, you've got the financial backing to get there a lot of the times you, you fall short in the, the British game in the lower leagues because a lot of the clubs haven't got the financial backing to, to get up the pyramid or the facilities at the minute but uh uh, certainly, certainly is a is a frustration of mine, and I'll keep flying the flag for the British coaches. Uh, let's talk about your pathway in football, because um, in terms of your playing career, you started at Mansfield. Um, you you basically played a lot of games for three clubs: Mansfield, Hartlepool, Salisbury. Yeah. How do you look back at your at your playing career? What sort of a player were you? I mean, I was an attacking midfielder. Uh, End up scoring fifty-one league games, which, which uh, fifty-one league goals in uh, I think it was about 300, 350 uh, league games. So, but uh, it was it was always my dream to to play for my hometown team. You know, I was a Mansfield fan. My me, me granddad used to take me uh, to the games. He was a steward at the club. So uh, I, was, I lived a mile away from the uh, from the ground in in Ladybrook, a, a rough town in Mansfield. But it was always my dream to to play for them, and I had a lot of opportunities to perhaps go to bigger clubs in my in my younger days as I was going through the the age groups. And uh, but uh, no, it was it was a, it was a privilege, and you know, I'm fant- I'm really pleased to see them doing well at the minute. Yeah, doing really well with Dave Flickcroft as a manager, doing a cracking job there. You know, and I'm I'm certainly cheering them on there because I'm. I'm sort of a Mansfield fan because I, I grew up that way. What was it? What was being an academy player at Mansfield? What what level were they at? Yeah, stage? I mean, obviously it was youth team then, YTS, and I think uh, Keith Alexander, the late Keith Alexander, was my youth team manager who put me in a real good place to to try and make it as a pro footballer. Uh, you know, he was fantastic with me. Uh, Andy King as well, the late Andy King, who was the manager. Uh, Bill Dearden as well was part of the coaching self through them years, and it was it was a real real good uh, upbringing for myself to the pro game. Uh, good people, uh, very demanding people, mm. and but uh, you know that first 
that first debut for, for Mansfield was special and um, you know my family was there and I probably if I'm being honest I probably stayed at the club too long you know from being there at 10 and left there when I was 23 probably yeah. a year too long two year too long I, I probably should have freshened myself a little bit more and I think sometimes you can you can stay at a football club too long in your, in your playing career and then you went on to Hartlepool and finished your career at Salisbury am I right in saying that uh, you had quite a tough time with injuries uh, at no I mean at uh, Arlipool at the back end I mean we had great success uh, Arlipool and yeah again a proper town yeah proper town passionate about the fans I love my six years up there and I've got I've made some great friends that are still good friends that are coaching in football now and you know Richie Humphries at the PFA Mark Tinkler's coaching at Middlesbrough uh, some real good lads up there and we had uh, we, we did very well for a, for, for a club of, of of that size we got to the League One playoff final got beat by Sheffield Wednesday in the final uh, it was uh, yeah we, we, we lost a playoff semi-final and then League Two playoffs and we got we got automatic and then the back end of it I had a serious knee injury it sort of I've never really recovered for to, to continue playing league, league football and then even at that stage compared to now that sort of knee injury was much more disruptive to a player's career, wasn't it? Than it might be. I'm mean, still, still major knee injury. It's not ideal, clearly, but it feels like an ACL in your twenties now does not necessarily spell the end of your career. But maybe no. back then it was, it was. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's, it's progressing all the time, isn't it? Injuries and players are coming back quicker. Sports science, better medical teams. They, they certainly, uh, they certainly players are coming back a lot quicker. And if, if you probably look back now, and if I had that sort of. Uh, Care you, I'd have probably probably stayed in the league, but as it happens, I went and joined uh, Salisbury in the in the Conference National. So you join Salisbury, you end up as player manager, but there's a lot that goes on uh, while you're at Salisbury. Just just yeah. give, give us the captain. Yeah. I was captain of the team, and we finished mid table of the national, which is unbelievable for the for the club the size of Salisbury. But uh, for, due, due to the old board and the financial regulations, the the club got demoted two leagues to the Southern Premier. And, uh, and that was the uh, there was only me and I think it was Matt Tubbs was the was the only two contracted players ready for the next season. You know Matt Tubbs scored a lot of goals yeah. at Portsmouth and, and and it was signed by Bournemouth. Actually, I sold him to Bournemouth, <laughs> so uh, it ended up being myself just contracted and uh, and being demoted. And uh, obviously, there was massive cuts. Uh, you know, but I, I managed to get the job. Uh, William Harrison Allen, who I'll always be grateful and thankful of, gave me first opportunity as a manager albeit by a bit of peer pressure from myself because uh, I won't name the name of the guy but there was another much bigger name than me in for the job but I sort of pressured uh, William and he, he put you know he uh, he gave me the confidence to to give it a go and we worked off a, I think it was a, a £4,000 a week budget there in the Southern Prem which ain't a bad Southern Prem yeah. budget to be honest with you but I said we'd be better off trying to stay full time I worked with a lot of young players that had been released after their first year pro after the scholarships that had come from league clubs and, and you know my selling point was to give them another opportunity to be a pro but you know these boys were on 100, £150 a week we got a house put them in a house four bedroom house and uh, I mixed that in with a bit of experienced players and the the, the, the things I learned in those years at Salisbury and uh, we, we got promoted in the first year through the playoffs which was vital so yeah. much pressure because we're going to be one or two the Staff had lost their jobs uh, if we if we didn't go because we were going to go part time after that. It was a lot of pressure through the season. Mm. A funny story I can remember: I broke my uh, foot in my uh, bone in my foot, 
probably a couple of a couple of months before the end of the season, and then were uh, you still playing at this point? Yeah, I, I played a bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm still the best player, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had it, and, and uh, I can remember the phone call on the day of the final. We were playing Hensford away, and it's, it's I'm in bed. It's, it's about half past nine at night. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call from Angus McDonald, you know, centre half, who was at home, oh, yeah, from yeah. his mum. And right. he'd come from Reading uh, on loan. And he was a very young lad then, I think he was only about 17, 18, but done great for me, centre yeah. half. And he's, he's gone on to have a good career so far. And uh, his mum rang me. He went, Oh, it's, uh, she says, It's Angus's mum. I'm thinking, Oh, wow, what's happening here? He's, oh, I hope he's not ill. She went, uh, Angus is in hospital, got a blood clot in, in one of his muscles. Uh, he won't be able to play tomorrow and it was literally and the injuries that I had uh, you know my wife will tell you I must have wrote this is a funny thing is I still had this big foot thing on on my toe I must have wrote out 70 to 80 teams different teams my obviously my team my personnel and I was in 10 of them <laughs> I was going to play I was going to take my boot off and play Amazing. and it was like yeah but uh, fortunately enough I didn't play and we, we managed uh, to win on penalties and but, uh, it was a great experience that, that year uh, you, you learned so much I learned so much in those early years as a manager Did you when you were coming to the end of your career it sounds like you were you were lining up a move into management at what stage of your playing career yeah, you like, t- Tommy, you know, this when, is my calling yeah Tommy Widrington took over as a as, as manager and he, he let me manage a few reserve team games and uh, you know I was, I was doing the coaching badges but it's was, it was, it was quite funny as well because I, I was actually coaching Portsmouth's under eights so my, my biggest coaching experience really was a couple of reserve games but I went from Portsmouth under eight coach yeah. a couple of nights a week to Salisbury's first team manager with one <laughs> player on the squad so uh, I certainly had to learn and I had to learn fast yeah you've gone up the first season and then another promotion the season after? Season after, but the, the, the second season, uh, and another thing I learned is, is I was probably a little bit loyal to uh, too many players in the second season, albeit we finished mid-table. We had a record-breaking third-round FA Cup run in the second oh, yeah. season. The, the furthest the club has got in the history. We, we, managed, we, we lost to Sheffield United, but beat a few league teams along the way. And uh, that was certainly another learning curve. And it's, it's important that you get these learning curves in your career because it, it puts you in good stead in the, in the future. So we it was, it was pretty pleased consolidating in the Connie South because to be fair to Salisbury, you know, the average was around about seven, 800 fans. That for me is their level. Yeah. But it wasn't, it was, you know, where I was looking at it that third year, I wanted us to uh, obviously try and push and we, we got promoted in the third year beating Dover in the uh, in the final but yeah again playoff success a real theme <laughs> a real theme of <laughs> your own it is yeah I enjoy the big games and uh, but it, it was the same sort of process really at Salisbury I was working with players that had been released from uh, from league clubs yeah how, how are you and giving them that second chance that second bite of the cherry to, to stay full time how are you sort of identifying them because you know I've always had a good eye for a player to be honest with you majority and uh, you know certainly you can look at Rovers probably hasn't worked as well obviously in the last six months we'll, we'll, we'll talk up a little bit about that later but I've always had a good eye for a player and uh, certainly you know, seeing potential, but I but I have patience with players. I think you're you're in a dangerous game at the minute, and, and for me, the manager's job or the head coach's job is to improve players, mm. and every single player in in inside of that that building needs to be improved and worked on. And I certainly had the the patience to work on that, which is which has reaped a lot of a lot of things of success. You know, I'll talk about players that took a lot of work on that I sold on into the championship. They didn't open overnight. That you know, a couple of 
two, three months of bad results and, and, and fans quickly want player changes mm. uh, throughout and uh, certainly that patience has put me in good stead and loyalty and I keep working and trying to get every inch of improvement out of players has been key to my success. Definitely when you're looking at, when you're just looking at your Wikipedia page, you're following it down, you've got Salisbury's uh, second promotion, two promotions in three years and you're into the, uh, to the conference now, the National League. Uh, and then you take the assistant manager's job at Bristol Rovers uh, in pretty much immediately after promotion. And that's when I think, you know, just as someone who, who follows football, you go, oh, that's, that's interesting because you, you've got a top job. And then yeah, OK, high was, level, but it, I'm number two. It was. I mean, I just felt that, you know, Salisbury was... I didn't want to be classed as a non-league. I think you can get... And it's hard for coaches in non-league. There's some very talented coaches and managers in non-league, but it's hard... If you stay in non-league, you get associated as a non-league coach and, and you stay there. And for me, is I wanted to get back into the league game, the pro game, very as quickly as I possibly can. And it was an interesting phone call, really. I, was, I rang John Ward at Bristol Rovers. Never known John. Never met John before. And I was ringing him about a potential pre-season game. So he's not too far from Bristol, Bristol Rovers. So I rang him, but he was the old teletext. You know, the news in brief. And there was something on the teletext that, that said that John was still looking for a number two assistant manager. Oh, right. But uh, I just, I, I, rang, I can remember the phone call. I rang him and I said, John, have you done your pre-season fixtures? And he went, nah. and, he, and, then, and then I says, are you still looking for a number two, John? And I said, just, just for outside the box. I said, listen, I've been, I, I told him a bit of my background. He said, all right, if I send my CV over to you, you know, have a little look at it, and uh, and then from there we ended up, uh, you know, John John obviously must have liked the CV, and we ended up meeting in a hotel in in Birmingham, uh, I think it was Birmingham way, I think, uh, and and we sat down and had a coffee, and what I reiterated with John is is that I always I didn't want John thinking that. I wanted his job because loyalty is a big thing with me. Yeah, it is. You know, probably one of my biggest faults is, and maybe I'm a little bit over loyal. But you know, I like to be. I like to be loyal. And I said to John at the time, I can remember. I said, "Listen, John, last thing I want you thinking is that I want to take your job. So, but if you want to put a clause in the in my contract that says if you if if you're happy to take me, if you get the sack, I'll go with you. You know, and that mm. that was important for me because I think when you go to a club, I like to give it my heart and my mind and, and put all put all into it so uh, yeah John John, John sort of uh, we said well listen you know there might be that opportunity for when I do step down because I'm not going to go on forever mm. do you know what I mean that there's potential that you could take over as manager of Bristol Rovers which was which was unbelievable yeah and uh, so uh, yeah I was delighted to move good across. to have that conversation beforehand given that by March you were you were in as the manager yeah yeah certainly but uh, you got to set your stall out and uh, it, was a, it was a disappointing season uh, the squad disappointed to be fair on numerous occasions it was it was a real eye opener to be honest with you because me leaving Salisbury and going over to Bristol Rovers I thought I was going to be seeing a lot capable better players and I can remember speaking to uh, we, we laugh about it one of the, the former uh, former members of Bristol Rovers uh, team that worked the other side of it I remember speaking to him I went and it, it, we, we joke about it now I said that half my Salisbury team would get in this Bristol Rovers team when it was in League 2 mm. you know the squad was sort of complete really yeah. and uh, I, I was right you know they, they didn't have the hunger or the desire that the, 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 the Bristol Rovers needed at the time and, and we struggled massively uh, albeit it wasn't lack of effort from myself and John and, and the backroom team but we just couldn't get them going and then uh, John decided to uh, move upstairs on, on, on March which uh, 
uh, which it was on the, the transfer window day actually it was about three o'clock in the afternoon the window shut at five but <laughs> you know it, it was an opportunity I was never going to turn down and and, and we uh, we sort of like tried to galvanise it I, I brought Marcus Stewart as me well mm. Marcus was already there as one of the coaches he, he came across as my assistant and we decided that well I decided that we'd try and bring it all together for those eight games and uh, give everyone a clean slate but I didn't trust the players, if I'm honest with you. Uh, I didn't rate majority of the players, but we tried to pull it all together, and we I think we got relegated on 50. I think it's 50 points on goal difference, which if you look through, was tumbling still at all. Yeah, it's a tough pill to take, but it was probably you look at now, but it was probably the, one of the best things that that, that did happen because I, I really could get rid of a lot of rubbish out of the team. Uh, and, and and change the old ethos of the, of the football club. Was there a chance? After that relegation, even though you'd only been in charge for eight games, uh, did they did the board back you pretty quickly? Oh, it was an interesting, actually, yeah, it was an interesting board meeting a couple of days after because uh, and listen, and this is what you know, Nick Higgs, the chairman at the time, the directors at the time. I've got to, you know, it's a massive thank you for keeping the faith in him because I, I sort of had to sell myself again. I said, listen, if you, if you take the eight games out of the picture and you, if you was looking for a, somebody that knows non-league, a manager, a coach, mm. well, I'm your man. You know, I played in the national, obviously got a couple of promotions below the national and, you know, I sort of sold myself. I told them what I wanted to do. I wanted to get rid of the rubbish, build uh, build a team with, uh, get some pride back in the shirt. I told them how difficult it was going to be. I know I was going to be working, you know, with a healthy budget, but it was under a, I think it worked out under a million, under a million in the conference, mm. you know. So rightly so, we should have finished in the top eight. Yeah. But it was more about changing about what the ethos was of the club, and changing the personnel and getting getting hungrier players into the team, and it it worked a treat to be honest. We, we didn't start great. Uh, I always say this story. I can remember. I think we got beat two one at Braintree, and I turned up at the training ground. There's a, there's a thousand posters with Clark out all scattered around the, the training pitch across the crossbar and that yeah. little tear in the eye there and that was, that was a real tough spell it was taking us too long to sort of gel what, what the fans expected but can then, I just interrupt there, yeah. there's someone listening to this when they do who knows that it was them that printed out the card uh, and then I mean a penny for their thoughts oh, now I, I used it as a motivation my wife would tell you I kept them in my bottom drawer <laughs> I did I did you know and uh, one thing for, for for, for anybody to know must know about me is I'm a fire I'm a scrapper do you know what I mean and uh, brought up rough counsel this day things weren't handed to me on a plate I've had to work for everything I've had to do in life and that puts you in good stead when things like that happen for me and I used it as a like I say and talk about enjoying pressure I used it to energise it to move on and prove people wrong but one one thing I will say about the Bristol Rovers supporters who were magnificent you know I went I went on live radio I think it was about three, four days after we got relegated. Now, bear in mind, you're probably looking at 89% of the fan base probably wanted me out or wanted a change, albeit they didn't blame me, to be honest, which, uh, you know, I did take responsibility and I felt responsible because I obviously took care of those eight games. But, uh, you know, I can remember going on radio and saying, listen, all a man needs is an opportunity and chance to sort of told them what I was going to do, what I was going to try and do. And, and they brought into that, mm. unbelievably, albeit yeah. after the tough start. But, you know, the Rovers fans, they, they always give you, gave you an opportunity. Yeah. And then it's up to you to take that opportunity. Quit, we didn't quickly, I didn't quickly turn them around, but the slow build was, uh, we, we eventually got there and we went on a real long unbeaten run and it was some real 
and everybody will say to you that the national is the hardest league to get out of yeah. without a shadow doubt. You look at Oxford six years, Luton five years. His teams are. I can't think Stockport, of it. I actually can't Stockport, think of the York, Chesterfield are struggling this mm. year. It's so difficult to to re-energise the club to get yourself back up. First time of asking. It's a shock to the system to the supporters. Yeah. You know, you, you you're fighting and you, you're doing a lot of work on the mental state of the players and the mindset of the players because. You know, supporters will think you should be winning comfortable every game, but that's you know, it's that's uh, it's easier said than done. The national league's a strong league now. There's not a lot certainly now between the bottom ten in League Two to the top ten in in the national. Yeah. Uh, it's getting stronger, more pro games, more pro teams, should I say? So it, it was uh, it was tough, but we after that dodgy start, we we really kicked on and and, and managed to to get through. How important was it to win that playoff final against well, Grimsby? Listen, I, I talked to you after the Dover game. We, I can remember I went to Dover, it was like playing on a car park, concrete, and I picked a big physical team. Well, one thing good about me is my memory in football is phenomenal. You know, <laughs> my missus will tell you that I forget what I said last week, but anything anything about football, I remember yeah. all games, all tactical decisions, it's, it's a, a, which has put me in great stead because nice. that's the way I am. But we had Dover, we were 1 0 uh, we up. Um, scored pretty late second half and uh, I can remember it they, they put a cross in I think it was about 90th minute and Will Puddy it was a foul to be honest it weren't much in it it was a foul dropped it and they put the ball in the back of the net 1-1 and Barton had, Barnett had dropped points so if we'd have won that game that put us in pole position top of the table yeah. going into Alfreton at home which I was always confident as seeing, as seeing Alfreton off because they were struggling so it was the lowest uh, other than the other than the relegation, it was the lowest I'd ever felt of the game. The the change rooms was it was dead. You know I couldn't speak, which is unlike me because I can talk <laughs> a lot. But I couldn't speak. I was so gutted for the players because I thought we got the game plan spot on. It was never going to be a football game. It was going to be a battle. And rolls your sleeves up. Mm. And the ball's going to be in the air more. And the ball needs a bit of ice on at the end of it. But uh, you know, to that to be taken out of our hand it was a it was a tough mentally job. Mm. Going into the last game, last game we won seven nil. <laughs> Barnet won. Uh, it was uh, you know full house, but yeah. then I did a talk on the pitch with all my players. You know the fans appreciated of what the players have achieved so far. I said, listen, we, we we can't let this go now. We can't feel sorry for ourselves. We yeah. missed the title. We've got to we've got to get through this. And we went to Forest Green and we we played really well in the two legs there, and then managed to get Grimsby in the final. Mm. That final went behind. Uh, Ellis Harrison equaliser I mean Ellis is obviously playing in the championship now for Ipswich uh, moved in the summer uh, one of those players would you say that you, you sort of touched on earlier certainly not the finished article when you first started working with him um, but turned into a, a you know, fantastic target man and a, and a scorer of big goals including in that game um, the most sort of notable thing watching that one back as a non-Rovers fan is you only use two subs and it's the 120th minute and you're probably wondering could we get could we get another sub on you bring on uh, Steve Mildenhall the, the reserve goalkeeper for the penalties yeah I mean, you, know, you must have then watched who was it Holland in the World Cup a few years later you must have thought you know people weren't banging on about this when I did it in the playoff final yeah uh, but, you know, what, was, what was the decision making then? yeah well it was just you know such a surreal game we didn't we didn't play particularly well on the day but uh yeah, it was getting, and, and a lot of players were going down with cramp. Uh, obviously, a long season, and I was trying to hold on for that last. So you, all, you always knew you wanted. No, to No, it, it got to the, about the uh, 
the under of minute and, and I was speaking to my assistant and he, he you know he dropped it in and I, and I thought yeah he's a Mildy's six foot seven we'll put his five foot ten Mildy's certainly going to look bigger in the goals let's, let's see if we can wait this on wait this on and I was screaming for the ball I think to be kicked out around about the 118th minute and 90th minute because I thought well he's a bigger presence in goal you know and uh, might just put off one or two of the grins we would work to we, we'd practice penalties through the semi-finals we did the walk from the halfway line I told the players to put it exactly where you know what they'd do on, on match day so we worked it we worked it for the Forest Green to uh, the second leg and we, we obviously worked it towards the final and uh, you know Mildred didn't make a save but you know one of them ballooned it over whether that helped or not but we polished all our five penalties off and you know the 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 scenes after was was massive a, a massive relief. We took loads of fans down there, and I think you know video footage of me uh, running off to it towards our fans because they deserved it, and you know they deserve even more success because they're, they're a special set of fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other main thing that stands out looking back at that game is uh, is the celebrations at the final whistle. Some great some great pictures, some great videos. Yeah, I mean, I look at that now and I'm a little bit, well, I'm not this point because you go on your emotion of the game, but I got on really well with Paul Hurst uh, and, uh, you know, I'm a little bit, I didn't shake his hand, mm. you know, young, bit bit experienced. I did apologise for that after the game, but the pure emotion and the relief and I wanted to share that with our supporters that had obviously been, been through the mill and it was all very difficult managing Bristol Rovers when you've got you know Bristol City that you know Lee's doing a cracking job there but they have everything Bristol City have the best facilities mm. the best training grounds the best technology they've got all the bits to go with it whereas Bristol Rovers for me is such a frustration that they haven't got anywhere near that and uh, it's, it's, it's a tough managing when it's you know it's like Sheffield Wednesday Sheffield United in the division two big two well supported clubs in, in one city so the, the, the Bristol Rovers I'd say is one of the hardest jobs because you don't you don't have that luxury mm. you had a, um, a, a core of players that won promotion with you from the National League to League 2 and were the core of a squad that Went and did it again. Uh, this time, didn't need playoffs, automatic promotion, um, but certainly still dramatic with, with a final day. Um, the likes of which most teams, most fans, most managers and players probably won't experience. Um, you know, you, you said, uh, yeah, looking back at the celebrations at Wembley, maybe a bit of embarrassment. Well, it can't have been that embarrassed because you, you, you went pretty big again the, the next year. But run me through that season. Back-to-back promotions yeah. is not something that happens very often. Yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> it strikes me that you didn't. You, you pretty much kept faith uh, in uh, a lot of the squad that had brought you up uh, into League Two, um, and uh, and a couple of couple of sneaky additions as well. Really, just sort of kept things kept things going. Yeah, I brought a bit of a, a bit of experience into the group, but uh, the lads were, were still hungry and, and something to prove in in league football, and and certainly the boys that had been part of the relegation. Uh, Tom Tom Locke, who's your your Ollie Clark, yeah. uh, those, those lads at Melden Halls had been part. Mark McChrystal, uh, they'd been part of the relegation, and they had something to prove in League Two. So I had that real hungriness about the group. I had a couple of experienced players, and we just flew at the end. To be honest with you, I give you a, I give you a story. This is a true story. I, at the time, I I probably had uh, I had four or five over 30, 30 year old players, yeah. and. Uh, this was interesting. We're going to Barnet away, and I got the whole whole group of players into uh, a pre pre meeting, you know. And I and I said to him then, I says, right, this is where I stand. I think we're something like maybe mid table. I says, right, if we get promoted this season, 
every one of you is going to be offered a contract minimal of a year on the money you're on now. So what I thought that was going to do was going to give the boost to some of the 30-year-olds that were actually in the stands, mm. you know, weren't playing or on yeah. the bench. And I wanted to pull it together and, and give them a different sort of motivation because a lot of players are, are motivated in different ways. But a lot of players are motivate, motivated and, and certainly in the 30s, it's about nicking, not nicking another year, it's a wrong book, trying to stay in the game. Yeah. And I did that and... Uh, what point of the season was that? Uh, it was, I think it was about 20 games to go, I think. Okay. I can't, can't quite recall, but uh, we lost at Barnet as well. <laughs> we were unfortunate, yeah, we got, uh, we got beat 1-0. And, uh, but but, but it, it, it pulled it together even more. Yeah. And we went on a tremendous run towards the end of the season. I'm a man of my world. And, it, it, and through that period, the new owners came in yeah. and uh, I told them what I'd said That's good. and what it was about. So they knew that. And trust me, if that wasn't backed up and I walked because yeah. I am a man of my word and uh, we got promotion on, on that day but then, and then I'll give you another story as well I can remember YL who's the, the pre- president of Bristol Road was a great guy you know so enthusiastic about football and uh, I got him into my office uh, and I said to him once I went you're doing a team talk today YL and he, he went oh what do you mean oh, don't worry don't worry I said you, you're not going to uh, you're not going to be going in talking. I said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you today. And I was, I was, to be fair, I was just testing him out and trying to get a bit of spirit in the camp because I said, uh, I said, what I'm going to do now today is give him a bit of a boost. I said, I'm going to say, if we get promoted this year, which it was looking like a long shot, I said, you're going to pay for him to go Vegas. <laughs> he, he, looked, he looked at me and uh, I thought, this could go either way, yeah. But he looked at me and went, oh, do you think it'll work? I went, oh, we'll give it a go. <laughs> and it was, it was brilliant. I went down, I went down there near to the lads and uh, I never distanced myself from a change room too much. Yeah. Great rapport with the players. You speak to the majority of players I've worked with. Great rapport and uh, no problem. Say it how it is. Honesty, yet again, whether players agreed or disagree with decision immaterial still do it still speak to them still be respectful and I got that respect both ways but I went into the change rooms and it was funny I can remember the talk I went right lads I said you never guess what and they're all they're all there sat there waiting for it I said I've only sorted you a trip to Vegas if we get promoted this year the change rooms just erupted in it it just you know it's these little things at clubs that they can they can energise groups yeah. and you know, I was always looking outside the box for different different sort of things so you've got an, an addressing room that's sitting there thinking I'm, I'm getting another we're mid-table another, <laughs> you know, we're mid-table <laughs> yeah, yeah. an extra year on my contract and a trip to Vegas yeah, it's yeah, easy but, that but, yeah, but it's the rewards isn't yeah. it now that ain't in a coaching manual Listen, I've done all my coaches, my pro license. Yeah. That, that ain't in any sort of coaching, but it's, a, it's your motivational skills, isn't it? It's mm. your management skills. It's how you get a group clicking together. And uh, it certainly helped us to, to get up on, on, that, on that great day. Is there another side to it sometimes? You've got, you know, with the extra year on your contract thing. <clears throat> There's definitely, I've heard suggestions that... Uh, certainly, I, I follow basketball as well, and it's a big thing in basketball, that guys in the last year of their contracts... You know the, the the pressure that they're under to to get the next contract wherever it is, whether it's at this club or the next one, is quite big, and the the performances, you know, get a bit of a boost maybe. Whereas once you get it, a certain character might might ease off a little bit, or just maybe subconsciously get a bit complacent. Certainly, and there's uh, there's no right or wrong. It's about knowing your group, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you've got to know your group. You've got to know the individuals of your group, and and certainly you won't click with everybody. But you, you, look, you work out the law of averages because I, I know my players 
and and that's how you do it. And and you can pick holes in football in anything in any any day walk of life. You can pick holes all the way through things. And well, what about this? And that could go the other way because there's two two ways. And there's loads of sorry, there's loads of different ways it can actually go. But just knowing the group, feel of the group, uh, you know, and obviously work well for us on that occasion. Would I do it all the time? No, because it's different different group. Yeah. And that's uh, you know that's the adaptability you have to have as a manager. And sometimes you're not in uh, the circumstances to be able to offer that. Let's talk about the the double promotion uh, from a. If you if you're happy talking about it, I know that the listeners love this sort of discussion. Um, I guess on a sort of tactical sense uh, and a stylistic way. Uh, what would you say were the main characteristics of that team uh, and how you, you know, why were you so effective? What was so good about that set of players? How did you set them up to, to, to thrive, to perform well? Yeah, I've always been, uh, I've always been pretty flexible as a, as a manager. Every game is a different project to me. Uh, I think it's easy if you're a club that's always got the top budget, mm. you can build a squad around that. Not easy. That's, that's being disrespectful. Uh, I think, I think you what you can do is is you can uh, adapt to a style that you actually want to be known as and play as you know want to be high press high tempo and all these bits and pieces but that enables you to go and get the best players so you've got to look outside the box at times and adapt along the way so we're certainly flexible uh, we had a, a decent enough settled team and goal scorers was the, the, the main aspect we had likes of uh, you know Matty, Matty Taylor yeah. Billy Bowden Alice Harrison yeah and we, we, Rory Gaffney came and joined us as well who did very well for me as well so in the top end we was always a very attack minded team uh, scored a lot of goals and we had the great belief in the squad you know I'm a, a massive man management of uh, you know teams coming coming back to win football matches I think it was something ridiculous like when I took over at Bristol Rose it was something like 77 league games the club had never come from behind to win a game <laughs> Which is unbelievable, yeah. You know, and certainly I think in uh, two of the seasons at Rovers, we was in the top four in the country, coming back to yeah, win yeah. games. And is that yeah. a, a mixture of mentality and also that, strategy? That, that was changing the mentality of the club. Uh, you know, I, I just want to go back a little bit. Is, is that what I had to do? Is even with a new group of players, I had to get a winning mentality into the club, and I was massive on uh, I was massive on punishments in training yeah. for losing teams. Yeah, you know, they'd run and they'd run hard. So I was massively trying to build that. You know, a lot of footballers only care about themselves individually. Get yeah. that. It's the walk of life. That's the way it is. But trying to get that winning mentality into a whole group. You know, there was punishments for losing, losing, losing teams, and that that builds the process of being able to come back from behind. You know, working on it in training to to produce any matches, and and the emphasis is that winners got rewarded. Mm. And uh, I used a lot of the my success goes down to that. You know, win, winners rewarded, and you know contracts get better, promotions, the contracts get better. Rightly so. Mm. They've got to players have got to see that they've got to uh, earn something to achieve something, and they that worked that worked brilliant in my, my first two years at Bristol Rovers. Watching back the the sort of highlights video of the League Two promotion year, just going back to sort of style, and you mentioned flexibility. It's, it's very clear. Sometimes when you watch a team, it's really obvious that you know their their attacking uh, system is based around you know it's focused on on one way of scoring, and therefore a lot of the goals look kind of similar. If you watch fifty back to back, you'll yeah. you'll start to see the theme. So. What struck me was that uh, your Bristol Rovers side at that point was scoring all sorts of goals, whether it was um, you know trying to break down teams sitting deep on the edge of their box, or the movement of Taylor and, and some of the 
some of the balls that were able to be played through to him uh, fantastic and if they if there was a higher line then there was no problem with uh, flick-ons from Gaffney and that sort of thing so that, that flexibility definitely shines through and I, I, I actually read an article that was written uh, by a Bristol Rose fan at around that time who's who pointed out that you know you could play 4-4-2 with a diamond midfield 4-4-2 with natural wide men three at the back that sort of thing with wing backs um, so flexibility is obviously a, a key thing here I, I guess looking forward to, to what's happened this season um, it, it just strikes me as a bit of a double-edged sword when it's going well everyone's like one of the great things about Daryl Clark is his flexibility game to game in different yeah. systems uh, if it's not going well and you're changing the system people are very quick to say he's chopping and changing well, that, that's the you know we go back to the what you know it's right when it's working it's wrong when it's not working and mm. I get that and, and everyone's opinionated uh, football everyone's an expert on football and that's why we love the game and you know, I really enjoy the dialogue I have with supporters on that I mean, what, what I'd say is, though, I've always been an attack-minded manager. And even though the last probably six months at, at Bristol Rovers obviously didn't go well, we were still on most games creating 20 attempts on, uh, on goal, yeah. you know, even more so with blocks. And uh, with the expected goals, which is a statistic, is in real good chances. Mm. We was in the top 10 when I left the yeah. club. Uh, we hit the woodwork a lot, uh, albeit not playing at our fluent best. Mm. But I've always been a very attack-minded, high-tempo manager. Mm. And the start, you know, the, obviously the six months we haven't scored as many goals is because we wasn't doing the, the the damage at the top end of the pitch. Mm. You know, we haven't. Uh, well, I certainly haven't replaced the the goals out of the team from losing my, uh, my you know my top goal scorer every window Mike Taylor Billy Bowden Alice Harrison and eventually that catches up with you it, it does catch up with you. you you can't always turn water into wine and it was frustrating very frustrating because uh, Kenny Jackie will tell you we played Portsmouth at our place and he was apologetic after the game Portsmouth top of the league because you know we played really well we, we got an equaliser lines he gets sent off but we was the better team throughout the game and Games of football are one on fine lines and certainly in the, in the last six months we, we didn't take the opportunities uh, to, to be further up the league. I guess at that stage you'd been on you know, poor runs of form, every manager does uh, at that stage of your career but just fast forwarding to this season and you know, we've not really mentioned the fact that first season in League One, 10th, second season, 13th, that's with players that you've mentioned um, departing the club sometimes in, in mid-season as well so um, uh, very solid first two seasons in League One but going back to I'm interested that you bring up XG it's something that we talk a lot about on the podcast um, you're seeing a team struggling to win games struggling to pick up points sliding down the table uh, but in matches you're seeing on balance of play even on chances created pretty even this is not a team that's getting dominated week to week sometimes you see teams it's clear that you know they're not good enough for the level uh, and they're just you know technically or whatever it is not good enough clearly wasn't the case with Rovers and I think a lot of the teams down there at the moment would have a case for that as well so uh, what's it like uh, personally the first time in your career that things are getting really bad how yeah, do you start dealing no, how do you do I mean the, the thing is what I'd say is it have been big bad spells throughout my reign all the way through you know through managerial you know you, you go on bad runs and, and that, that wasn't the sort of problem I mean I'd have, I'd have worked in the windows in, in the window I'd have changed my strike forces it, it wasn't rocket science mm. do you know what I mean they, they were honest enough lads at the top end of the pitch working hard not much rubber to green but you needed to change mm. you can only change that on a window yeah. so uh, and certainly then you, you can't go away from your beliefs of how the game should be played 
uh, certainly want to be high tempo, giving players confidence to play. And then uh, you're opening that freshening up at the, the top of the pitch. You score, you know, you score more goals. But the, the, the top players, the, the top the top end players, cost the most money. Mm. You know, and this is no disrespect, but at Bristol Rovers, you don't get your number one choices. Yeah. Because you can't afford your number one choice. But that's like for most managers at most clubs. Do you know what I mean? And uh, you know, we we had success with your tails and your Harrisons and your Bowdens and your Gaffneys and them sort of strikers yeah. in the past that no one had heard of, by the way. Do you know what I mean? And then, then, then uh, eventually it gets to a stage where the new strikers that come in don't work as well. Yeah, no, 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 no one's got a hundred percent record. No, 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 no. <laughs> but you, you know, you like to think at times you get you get that opportunity to to to, to sort of like change it round. But I think it was a it was the right time for club and myself. Yeah. If I'm honest, I've been there a long time. I, there was a lot of frustration, which I don't really want to go in, and you know, it's been well publicised. There's a lot of frustration for me. Is in for me. Is I'm desperate for success. Yeah, and desperate to want to kick on. And and what you got to realise is the gulf now between League One and the Championships massive, absolutely huge. Mm. The teams that come down are very very strong, you know. And you you've got to be building towards platforms to be able to to have success. And uh, that become a big frustration of mine. And and it, certainly certainly in the in in both both parties it was the, it was the, the probably the best time to move on yeah without apportioning any blame uh, one of the things you spoke about when you joined us uh, before the playoffs last year um, is is and it, it's very public that the club had the intention of uh, upgrading facilities and the infrastructure of the club and uh, training facilities and new stadium and and that sort of infrastructure that n- never got over the line and and uh, seemingly what I think fans would say seemingly never will. Yeah, when you talk about facilities needing upgrading, uh, infrastructure needing upgrading, how's it affecting your day to day? Like, how, how's it undermining the, the work that you're doing? How does improved infrastructure sort uh, of? Help I, I just think you look at the top teams, the uh, the compete together champ and obviously champ teams. They, they have the facilities, they have, they have the training ground, uh, they have the stadium, they have different sources of revenue. And uh, there's a there's a lot of money in the game now. Uh, you know the the wages are sky high in, in most divisions, and uh, certainly you've got to be sort of competing to there to if if you want to be getting into the the championship and facilities. We you know put together a development team on you know on a reasonable small budget uh, with with the the regard that we're going to move to our new new training pitch and have the facilities to. To do that and to, to kick on, but uh, I know everybody's working hard at the club to, to make that happen. It's just obviously sometimes as a manager you get a little bit frustrated, uh, but uh, I wish him nothing but success, uh, and I mean that. I love the supporters were absolutely amazing with me, and they were a special, special set of supporters, and I, and I wish the club success. And I'm itching them from to win every week, and I know a lot of managers can be a little bit bitter when they leave the, t- leave the teams, but that's not me. You know, Graham Coglin's gone in there. He's he steadied the ship. Got some, you know, grounded out some results, which have been pleased, albeit a disappointing result on Saturday. But uh, I'm certainly cheering them on from the uh, from the outside. After that defeat against Wickham on the weekend, uh, Graham, uh, one of the first things he said in the press comments I saw was um, a lot of the things I want to say. Uh, the former manager was saying every week in front of you guys as well, so I don't need to repeat them. Uh, what did you, you know, how did you react when you saw? I just think, you know, Graham was working with obviously me closely. You get frustrated because you see the potential and, and what, where the players should be performing at the levels they're at. And when they don't hit them targets on a consistent basis, you, you get frustrated. 
it's uh, it's difficult as a manager. Uh, you get the the microphone put put under your nose thirty minutes straight after, and you know Graham will learn that along the way of how difficult it is speaking on the on emotion after games. Certainly with myself, I was guilty of that, but I used to enjoy it. You know, I was a man, a hot on the sleeve sort of guy. I'd say how it was. I'd be more animated when we won than the one we'd lost. Uh, but uh, certainly, uh, I'd like to always think that I gave a fair reflection on, on what the game was. And, and Graham was, you know, showing that frustration side of things. And he's right, the players were driving me yeah. potty yeah, just because he wasn't reaching the levels that they should be capable of getting to. He is obviously someone with experience in the game, and you worked with him closely this season. Um, but he's, he's not someone that, as a manager, I personally know much about. What What's his character? What sort of manager do you see him being? Oh, he's a born winner as a player. Uh, he, he, he's certainly no robust centre-half. Uh, so uh, he, he's done what he, he, he is as a, as, a, as a player, really. He's made him tough to be uh, robust. He, he'll be defensive probably in, in his mindset, but still wanting the, the last to obviously... Go and uh, go and create chances. So it'd be great. He's like I say he's had that big learning curve being coaches and assistants, and uh, you know. And I think after the run of games, he, de- he deserved that opportunity to to try and move it forward. He, he knows how difficult the job's going to be, and um, uh, hopefully he can get the fresh faces that he needs in January to freshen things up a little bit. Because I think whether that's a manager, whether you're top or bottom of the table, it's important that you're inject freshness into the into the squad and I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine uh, you know I'm pretty pretty confident that there's uh, had a couple of uh, important additions at the the top end of the pitch the, mm. the club will start moving up the table because they're only you know they're eight points off off 12 yeah. there's still loads of games to play mm. you know a little blip at the weekend and uh, but I'm sure they'll kick on and I'm sure Graham will do well adding talent at the top end of the pitch though with a with what is it one week to go to the end of the January transfer window not an easy thing though no it doesn't end. not a given that they that they can or that they will so they don't really, the league, you, you go back to what I always say you're not, you're not going to get the big hitters at, at Bristol Rose it's something you have to try and turn turn them into yeah. to be honest with you and that's the reality of the, the situation uh, feels like back in August with a week to go it seemed like a striker was well it was you know you look at the strikers that I'd have really liked to have been to the club yeah, you're Jaden Stockley's who's by it you know couldn't afford him Christian Deutsch you know done brilliant at, at Forest Green you know big 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 fees mm. and potentially you know that improved us massively like that's what I'm saying you never get you're never ever going to get your, your first choices uh, because that's the way it works. We've got to find out them, them, them other other players, and then you know it's been disappointing that, that we 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 didn't get the the sort of the players to to get that consistent level to to be scoring more goals from your from your strikers. But they, they can soon turn round. Mm. Uh, I'll talk about Matty Taylor. And I'll talk about him because this is how quickly the game can change. Because I think he scored one goal in his first 13, 14 appearances at Bristol Rovers. And trust me, he was getting some stick, mm. some big stick. But yeah. he went on to go and have unbelievable seasons and score the goals. So we can quickly turn in this game, and I'm sure the lads will, you know, uh, try and gain confidence and, and get that goal that can quickly change for strikers and get them on a good run. Yeah, you signed Tom Nichols, and he's had a really tough time in terms of scoring goals. But he's the type of player that you know you'd probably say is still offering plenty to the team, even when he's not scoring. But he becomes a bit of a Focus point for fans as well because yeah, they, he does. I mean, the thing is with Tom Nichols is is that uh, 
strikers will get judged on goals and there'll be no and then there is nobody more disappointed than him. But what I think he, he also was adding to his game is he was probably the best link up striker that brought the likes of uh, your Liam Circums, uh, your Chris Lyons and your Carl Bennett. It's like playing with Tom Nichols yeah. because he's bright, he knows he knows good he makes good runs. But like I say, you get judged on goals and he's no one more disappointed than Tom, but he, he couldn't get him off the training pitch. Working hard, kept working hard. Keep him working hard to to improve that obviously that area of the game because he's you know top goal scorer at Peterborough, top goal scorer at Exeter, and it can happen. Dare you know, if Tom, if Tom goes to another club, I dare say he'd probably score twenty goals <laughs> at a drop of a hat. But that's that's football. You know, it's just unfortunate for myself and Tom that he, he never hit the ground in in, in the back of the net. Uh, I want to talk to you about League One uh, in general, other teams, and and uh, the fact that at the moment it is just set up beautifully from a neutral's point of view, both at the top and at the bottom. Uh, just one more thing on, on Bristol Rovers. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you, you really feel strongly that it was the right time uh, to to part company, um, to move on from each other. Uh, but it's widely reported that you were. Uh, getting some job offers while you were a Bristol Rovers manager. I think the one that always gets talked about is Leeds uh, when Chilino was in charge. What's, what was the, what was it like when you've just won, I think it was just after the second promotion, wasn't it? And yeah. you get a call from Leeds and you've, you know, you've, you've, you've come from Southern League, you're going into League One with Bristol Rovers, you get the call from Leeds in the championship. Yeah, no, I, I met Massimo, uh, pleasant guy. I got gone great with him for must have been a three four hour conversation conversation with him and uh, pretty lively bloke as well yeah no listen he, he is what he is and he thought was he 43 managers in 20 years but I find him very pleasant quite knowledgeable as well in in, in, uh, in football and what, what you're sort of uh, speaking with and it, it just came across that you know the two clubs agreed the compensation at the time and uh I was all set to be going, and then then I I sort of uh, I had the weekend at home. I think it was on the Friday that the the, the the compensation had been agreed. But I just thought, you know, it was a case of we was going to be building something at Bristol Rovers. I had great rapport with the supporters, and I'm a loyal person, and I am a loyal person. And there's a lot of managers and coaches in the game tell me tell me I was crazy not to have taken that, and I get that point of view. But I have no regrets of not going. I certainly don't, and you know, Leeds are a massive, big club. Will I ever get that opportunity again? Who knows? You know, will I live to regret that decision? The answer is no to that because I wanted to show loyalty to a club that had shown loyalty to me mm. quite easily. Got rid of me in the conference, and, and people talk about loyalty in the game when there is none. I think that was one of the best things I had with the Bristol Rovers, and why I, you know, I got fantastic mes- messages after I left the club. Is that they could see that you know I did care about the club. I wanted the club to do well, mm. and that I was loyal to the football club, which is unheard of. Yeah, you know. So, uh, so it felt like the the sort of overriding emotion from all parties was just one of sort of sadness, more than anger, or more than thank you know, great. This is what we needed. Just a, a sort of sadness, but an acceptance as well. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it wasn't like you. you bailed at the earliest sign of trouble it wasn't like the club got rid of you at the earliest sign of trouble no but it wasn't like that at all and listen I sit here and say I'd be very confident that I would have turned it round you know I back myself as a manager that's the way I am yeah. people can have their own opinions of that but I believe I would have turned it round no problems but I also believed it was in the best interest of both that there was that fresh freshness that fresh start there was obviously a lot of frustration along the way 
but I had great, great relationships and rapports with, with everybody down there at Bristol Rovers and I thoroughly enjoyed it. League One in general at the moment, uh, probably the most interesting league in England. Five teams gunning genuinely realistically, I think, for two automatic promotion spots uh, and a relegation battle in which anyone from 10th downwards is, is no more than seven, eight points clear and you know is looking down more than they're looking up. Uh, it, there, there doesn't seem to be anyone nailed on for relegation and I think everyone currently in the relegation spots feels like they can get out of it and the people above it feel like they can move up the table. So fascinating, we wanted to talk to you about some of the teams involved, uh, certainly at the top because it's great to sit down with someone who has had to prepare teams to play against all of these guys this season, um, who's done Marcelo Bielsa levels of analysis like everyone else uh, on these guys and, and I, I guess at the top um, we're talking about currently Portsmouth, Luton, Sunderland, Charlton and Barnsley. Uh, they've all taken different routes. Some of them started strong, some of them less strong, some of them getting stronger as we go. Um, the first team that springs to mind when I say the best team out of that bunch, the team that you thought, Jesus, like, how am I going to set my team up here? Yeah, I thought Luton was the best team we played. Played a diamond, played it very, very well. Uh, great movement. Uh, you know, Nathan's doing a fantastic job there. Good support base. You know, I really, I really fancy them to uh, to be there and thereabouts, which they are. Uh, Phil Watt's like departures almost galvanised them. It's yeah, short, short term, but yeah, no, I think uh, obviously a key appointment for the from the next one. But yeah. uh, certainly got a talented squad of players that Nathan's produced, yeah. and the clubs that have got momentum are, are very dangerous. But I look at Portsmouth. I think Kenny's done unbelievable there because everybody look at Portsmouth and say, oh, they used to win the FA Cup and know this, but they don't. They don't spend massive amount of money. And if you look at Kenny's recruitment, he has you know he has got the hungry players in mm. some from non-league. Jamel Lowe, yeah. Hawkins, uh, Boy Curtis over from Ireland as well. His recruitment's been absolutely top-notch. Mm. And I think if you're looking at the team that's overachieving up there, it's Portsmouth. And yeah. now people won't believe that, but it is. And I ain't just saying that because I had a coffee with Kenny last week. He's <laughs> <laughs> fact of the matter for me. Uh, Barnsley, obviously a big club that's come down. Got obviously, uh, you know, German owners that are finding the feet. Charlton, Lee Bowyer, big clubs, massive clubs. Grant McCann's doing great at Doncaster, maybe an outside for the playoffs. Peterborough, who uh, always invest quite heavily, and they have a they have a, a different sort of policy to most clubs. But uh, you know, Steve's used to the promotion run. Uh, it'll be well organised, well drilled. Concede a lot of goals, but also yeah. score a lot of goals. Uh, so they, they, that can go either way. Yeah. Uh, with the last run of the season, and yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to to see. It, but I think I think Luton will be in the top two. I'm I'm hoping Portsmouth do as well because I must say I've always I've always liked Portsmouth's fan base and yeah. I, I think he's a great club. Uh, and Kenny's doing a fantastic job there. Who knows? So. You could have you could have been coaching the under eights. You could have stayed in the system there. <laughs> Got the eights to nine to tens, elevens. Yeah. Um, no. Sunderland, I think, were the only team that you didn't play against before your departure this season. Um, if I can just pluck Luton, um, just a quick quick tactics chat, just because we don't get the chance to sit down with too many managers. Uh, 4-4-2 Diamond or 4-Diamond 2, however you want to you wanna call it, been unbelievably successful for them, um, that system. Strikes me that if you're setting up against it, um, I know that uh, uh, Brentford had some real joy against Stoke the other day in, in one of Nathan Jones' first games there. Um, Stokes fullbacks were probably not ready to play as fullbacks in the diamond because that is key. But Luton's fullbacks are 
sensational. Certainly key. You certainly your rotation and your midfield's key to try and dominate the ball. Uh, we went uh, 4-3-3 against them. I think I made a change after 20 minutes, actually 25 <laughs> minutes, which, which is not unheard of with me, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't quite working the way we were. So uh, what you find so is it just, what were you... What was your intention before the game with that formation, and what was it that wasn't quite working, and you thought I need to make a change? Yeah, I play, if I can remember right, I played a four-three-three, and he had uh, Ed Upson, Chris Lyons, and Ollie Clark in the midfield. Probably Ed Upson and Lyons are probably too too similar. As in the Ollie Clark's a good dog, what I call him. Probably needed another dog in midfield a little bit because the the rotation was was overrunning us, and we were disappointing on the ball and poor on the ball. Albeit all in the game, stayed in the game, defended back four defended pretty well for the majority of the game yeah. but uh, if I was going up against them again I'd have a I'd have a curveball from don't worry about that yeah. you know, really, that's the way I look at management is in the, you, you, the joys of being a manager is, is trying to uh, you know try and pick holes into the opposition in, in an attack I like to be yeah. attack minded obviously sometimes different away from home but it's your, your teams uh, at their best generally had uh, had two up top, and if you could if you could sort that out in some way, uh, Luton of course do very well out of that. Uh, so good in in midfield and defence, but then up front well, you've I also think, got yeah. two bodies. And, and, it's interesting because um, I think you find uh, now the, the, the number nine, the big mobile number nine, is a dying breed. Yeah, you know, Idelis Harrison uh, talked about James Dockley, uh, Doidge. Yeah, yeah they, these are good lads that can win win balls in the air, but they're a dying breed. So. How do you get two strikers on your pitch when one of them isn't a nine? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and I think if you look at the way uh, Luton have got that, they've, they've got good mobi- mobility and movement in the strikers yeah. and, the, and the guy in the hole. And uh, I think that's one of the key ways of, of getting two centre forwards on the pitch, and they've worked it well. Charlton as well with Taylor and Grant. yeah, Charlton. Charlton, you know, Lee can sometimes mix it up, but he's got the diamond in the locker. Uh, certainly, always wide players coming right inside the pitch, and there's always different ways of skinning cats. Shall we? Shall we call it? And uh, a lot of games in football now run on fine lines. I don't think uh, there's a massive gulf. Uh, you know, four or five teams have have done really well, but they're beatable on the day as well. And and certainly, like I say, we I thought we played quite well against Portsmouth. Um, Luton was poor to be fair, but we we didn't play too bad down at Charlton. Uh, on the day, any any Went team ahead can be any... Sunderland just after you left as well. Oh, yeah, they did. I mean, Jack Ross. I played with Jack at. Uh, Hartlepool uh, for, a, for a short spell and he's gone in there and everybody expects him to be, be walking away with it but he's tough for managers with the expectation that they have to get up you know he, he, he'll be well aware of that for the club that size and, and, and as that stature they'll have to get up and I think he's, uh, he's steadied the ship they've got a bit of momentum but he's, you know they, they'll be looking for that extra push and I'm, I'm sure they'll be uh, very interested in the in the window as well. I know they you know rumoured to have put a bid in for Will Grigg, who, who's obviously a top goal scorer yeah. at that level. So it'd be be interesting to see how the market plans out. Yeah. In uh, in uh, by the end of Jan. And down at the bottom, uh, you've got Wimbledon who are seven points from safety, and yet all the noise is coming from the fan base is that under Wally Downs, you know they do look better. It kind of goes back to what we're talking about on balance of play. They're not getting dominated in games, you know, that they are falling on the wrong side of the result, not taking their chances. Could have been maybe two, three one up against Barnsley on the weekend, end up losing four one. I think that's kind of the case for all the teams down there. Plymouth have had some impressive wins, but inconsistency. Uh, Oxford for a spell looked like, you know, they were a striker away from being a you know a genuinely good team and then went on another tough run. So basically no teams down there strike me as being as bad as you normally get one or two, don't you? Like a Berry last season, who had, who had pretty much gone from 
20, 25 games in. I mean, that just makes the whole thing even more stressful. Yeah, it certainly does. And there'll be a lot of teams from mid-table down looking over the shoulders because it's such a you know competitive division that you can quickly go on free fall losing runs yeah. that push you right be so yeah massively then how I, I, you manage that mentally yeah. is key uh, because the pressure does come the pressure comes from your fan base mm. you know they get nervous they get edgy so you've got to manage that as a manager you, you've got to show real calmness about you and a real composure about you and, and make sure that siege mentality is built in force because it's key you know, they say the January transfer window is a hard window for, for most clubs and you, you've got to hold your nerve to a certain extent and make sure you keep working with the players that you've got because if you cold shoulder players and then all of a sudden you've got to bring them back to the fold you're, you're in a dangerous game, mm. dangerous line so you know, you've got to pull it together and there'll be teams looking at that way looking to freshen things up in the window like I say, it could be any 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 team from mid-table that to the teams that are down there that could finish in the bottom four slots because there's not a lot in the games yeah absolutely Um, for you personally uh, going forward uh, looking at the next opportunity or looking for future opportunities um, in an ideal world what's 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 the dream what's the dream next up I'm trying to pitch myself in at the highest level possible Uh, I haven't I haven't haven't applied for any job as of of yet Uh, apparently declined obviously a chat with uh, a couple of clubs but uh, yeah it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting uh, you know where I go in at uh, I'd like to do it in the highest level possible mm. and like you say I've had that experience of what a lot of managers don't get and that's promotions yeah. and uh, yeah, hopefully that puts me in the good stead for the future certainly the experience I've, I've picked up in those 400 games and the amount of problems I've had to sort out and, and different things gone through good runs bad runs change of ownership work with three four different boards now through my career all different characters different personnels and certainly all that all that now goes into you know into the memory box mm. and, and like I said I've only I just turned 41 in December and there's plenty of years and I want to get back into to management now as quickly as I possibly can a few different structures within clubs that, that across the EFL a lot of teams will now have a director of football head of recruitment that sort of thing a manager called a head coach uh, talking to Paul Heckenbottom you know he, he's been technically a head coach in all of his roles so far at Barnsley and Leeds but he's worked with three or four different boards and said you know the, the difference uh, between the, the setup how many people are making decisions at, at various clubs uh, is interesting and, and he you know he spoke about actually he'd quite like to be part of a, of a club where they do have the, the modern setup, but where everyone knows their role and, and the decision-making process is key. Uh, it strikes me that in English football that can be quite hard to find that balance. I don't know whether it's egos or whatever it is. What, what do you prefer in terms of uh, working with people behind the scenes? I mean, recruitment's always one, isn't it? In the olden days, managers did it all, um, contacts book. Uh, going out and watching games themselves these days uh, it, a lot of the responsibility is taken off the manager but quite often the manager will still get the still get the rap if players brought in aren't, aren't doing so well so are you sort of for anything or against anything no, I'm not really to be honest with you I'd say the key key word for it is adapt you know I've, I've adapted with different boards different mm. personnel you adapt with different fan bases support bases adapt to different club cultures adapt with it Mm. You know, everybody talks about this word philosophy. You know, for me, it's about adapting, mm-hmm. and I've, I've got that. I believe I've got that in abundance. Just uh, adapting. There is, 
there is owners that will be challenging to a lot of people but communication is always the best way communicate uh, agree to disagree all of that and uh, healthy relationships with all uh, contrary to what people think I've had fantastic relationships with all my, my old boards I said it how it is I think we appreciate that I'm honest I wouldn't you know I wouldn't there's nothing that I haven't said in the media that I haven't said to people's faces mm. and uh, you know and, and the key phrase is making sure that everybody at your club is wanting to club to move forward and singing off of that page mm-hmm. because there's so many opinions in the footballing world everyone's an expert uh, you know we all think we're that mm-hmm. and that's why we love the game but you've all got to be singing in that common goal is to bring success to the football club and you've got to make sure that that loyalty is there and that you're all singing off the same page or whatever that page is going to be so player manager at Salisbury in the Southern League uh, adapted then uh, Conference South and then Conference then assistant manager at Bristol Rovers adapted then all of a sudden manager in March and then Back down to uh, back down to the conference. Uh, it, it strikes me that there's been a lot of adapting already in in a well, what is s- s- don't seem it, but a shortish career so far. In the sense that you've still got so much time ahead of you. Well, yeah, that's a that's one of the beauties of it. Is and hopefully I won't be out of work too long. Is is that I managed to have success at, at decent levels. Uh, you know, a big club like Bristol Rovers as well. Mm. And um, certainly that that hopefully puts me puts me in good stead for the experience I've got in the in the short space of time to uh, get a get a good job. So uh, we'll see. Interesting times uh, between me and my mates who are all EFL nerds. That there's one thing we always talk about. We're watching the highlights show on a Sunday morning, um, and we always say the team that has the best what we would call limbs, the best sort of last minute celebration, is always the Rovers fans behind the goal. Uh, oh, and, the and I mean, it, it, under you, it seemed to happen uh, uh, probably more than, than than most teams. Well, barring the uh, barring the uh, the last obviously this season, our own form was tremendous. Something like seventy percent win ratio, I think it was. You know, very very high. <laughs> and uh, but the, the Mem was a, was a great place to to play. You know, when the, the fans are right behind you, and uh, certainly they're going to need them going forward. They need the uh, they need the support more now more than ever, which I always did. I don't. I never like saying it because I think that the Rovers fans are probably the most hardest done by in the football in the football league. I really mean that because and just because that there's there's so many of them and it's it's, it's so difficult for them. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm praying that they, that they get what they deserve. And uh, then the club can uh, really move forward on and off the pitch. Well, Darrell, we're really looking forward to seeing what happens next. Uh, you yourself said it'll be interesting to see where I end up. Um, and, uh, and we're very much looking forward to it as well. Hopefully, uh, I know that you'll be having people telling you to do a bit more media stuff. You know, keep, keep yourself in the eye of the public. So we're grateful that you sat down with us and, and gave me so much of your time. Hopefully... Uh, you've enjoyed it it's probably a bit different but hopefully good fun no I've thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, like I say it's nice to uh, you know look at some really good memories in the, in the past and uh, hopefully there's more to build on in the future a bit more of a relaxed environment I always think you know as a manager you have to talk to the press however many times a week and it's people holding things in front of your face or you're sitting in front of a crowd and uh, there's a sort of pressure that comes with it it's just a different scenario than, than being able to sit down no, certainly nice. To, yeah, certainly nice to get an insight, you know, through from past careers as as it was, and a few good memories in there. 
what a treat that was to sit down with Daryl. Feel like I learned a lot. Feel like it's always really nice and a bit different to be able to talk to uh, managers in a, a different environment, in a different scenario. And and from Michael Appleton to Paul Heckingbottom and, and now Daryl Clark, we've had some uh, really fantastic sit-down chats. So please do send any other requests for future NTT20 meets. I'd really like to do more and more of these. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please, please share it. Uh, these are obviously done in in our spare time and it's usually encouraging when we see them go down well it's it's very rewarding put it that way when uh, when people share your content and uh, we'd be really appreciative if you could do that stay tuned for a betting show uh, later on in the week if you're new to the podcast we do a monday show reviewing the weekend we do a, a betting show previewing the weekend uh, in a betting sense uh, and the odd special like this so welcome to ntt20 pod thank you very much for listening to-